This episode is brought to you by ereceptionist.co.uk. They'll answer your phone calls so you don't miss anything important. You can get a real UK landline number. You can get calls diverted to your existing mobile or landline. It uses real phone lines so there's no dodgy VOIP. You don't need a contract. You don't need any new hardware. And you can use it with existing telephone numbers. To get 60 days free right now, rather than the standard 30 days, just go to ereceptionist.co.uk forward slash arseblog. Now let's do the show. minutes better from Arsenal what a lovely ball that is beautiful for Mario Giroud and it's in Arsenal have a goal goalkeeper couldn't keep it out it's Olivier Giroud who's delivered for Arsenal now then Campbell brought that down on his thigh still Campbell and still maybe a chance and it is 2-0 Giroud he's fit all right and Arsenal now are they on their way to a great escape Champions League. They're claiming a handball and it's a penalty kick. Montreal's effort was handled. So it's Olivier Giroud looking for a hat trick, but this goalkeeper Roberto has saved in the pass from Ibrahimovic, Arturo Vidal. But this third goal would almost certainly be the clincher if Giroud can put it away. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Hope you're well. You heard the goals. Oh, good goals. Olivier, wow. Fair play, guy. Just a very, very, very impressive performance. But the thing that struck me most about what he did the other night was in the post-match interview. Right? So he's standing there beside... Per Mertesacker, Olivier Giroud, he's given it everything, every single bit of himself. He scored his first hat-trick for Arsenal. He's played a huge part in uh, getting us through to the knockout stages of the of the Champions League. Of course, he was slightly culpable in the first game, getting sent off. That didn't help things. But, you know, like the own goal he scored last week, he responded. He responded by scoring in the second half. And this was kind of like that, except months apart, right? So this is Olivier Giroud. He's like, I mean, he's given everything. Physically, he's run. He's gone over on his ankle, picked himself back up to score just moments later. I mean, it must be exhausting, physically taxing, demanding. Even for super fit professional athletes, it must be really hard going. And he's standing there on the television, live TV, beside Mertesacker, and there is not a single hair out of place. It's fucking remarkable. Like the man is blessed with the most amazing hair. I know we've given props to Mikel Arteta for his hair before, but I'm sorry. Olivier Giroud's hair is, uh, it's, I don't know what it is. 
It must be like a separate entity. It's like a life form that sits atop his head. You know the way um, shoals of fish, they all move in unison together. Okay, there might be one or two little stupid fishes that go, oh, oh, I don't know where everyone's going. Where are you all going, guys? But mostly they all just stay together. And that's what Giroud's hair is like. I, I, just um, staggering to me. Staggering. Because nowadays, I don't have as much hair as I used to. It's certainly, you know, thinning on top, etc. But even when I did have hair, when I was a teenager, I sported um, quite the quiff. That's just the way it was in the 80s and stuff. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that that's what it was. But it took work. It took a lot of work. You'd have to, like, gel the sides and then kind of, I don't know what you use back then, your mousses and, and, and hair gels and brill creams and everything. Everything you could do to get your hair into the position where you went, yeah, it doesn't look like a complete and utter shambles. That's acceptable enough for me to go outside the door. But then the minute you went outside the door and there was a, a vague gust of wind or somebody touched you on the back, the hair would go like, it just collapse. By the end of the night, you just look like a, a matted dog that's been dragged through a hedge and, you know, just a big woolly-headed idiot. But Giroud, no, no. He can play 90 minutes of top-flight football, score headers, get pushed around and kicked around and run and sweat and all that kind of stuff. And he's standing there and his hair is just, it's remarkable. I've always been kind of... uh envious of people who have that kind of hair, you know, they just need to run their fingers through it and it's fine. Or people who have like remarkably kempt beards. Mine is unkempt. It's ridiculous. Just grow it. And then all of a sudden it's like hair everywhere. And then you see people and it's like, how is it possible that you're, you know, your beard is just so tidy. Maybe they work at it. Maybe they get it groomed. They allow themselves to be groomed by other men. I don't, I don't know. But some people just have naturally tidy beards. I'm always jealous of them as well. I didn't inherit good hair genes. What can I tell you? But look, that's the least of our worries. None of you should be worrying about that. What we should be worrying about is who we draw in the next round of the Champions League. And that's a nice worry to have, isn't it? After, after what we did in the early stages of this group, it was like, oh, God, well, you know, chances are we're not going to qualify. And then, then there was all the self-rationalization, wasn't there, about the Europa League. Of course, none of us wanted to be in it, but, you know, it was a trophy. And maybe it is still a trophy that at some point we may have to compete for. But do you know why I really, really didn't want us to go into the uh, Europa League? Because it would completely fuck up my arsecast schedule. Think about it. If we're playing on a Thursday night... There's no way you can do a podcast for Friday morning. When I mean, you've got to do the game, you're not going to get somebody to talk about the game until the next day. And it would be weird, wouldn't it? We'd have to like move the Arsecast on a Friday to a Saturday. Not that Saturday is a bad day for listening to podcasts. I know some people don't listen to the Arsecast on a Friday anyway, but you know, it's just become so part of the routine. It's ingrained. It would just like fuck your head up. You know, when you get a bank holiday and you think, what day is it this week? And you never can figure out what day it is. If the Arsecast moved to a Saturday, some weeks, you'd be, people's minds would be scrambled by the whole thing. And that was my, um, that was my big fear about the Europa League, was what the hell I was going to do with the Arsecast. So well done, Arsenal. Well done, Olivier Giroud in particular, uh, for scoring those goals and for ensuring continuity of the Arsecast. So on this particular show, we're going to talk about that game. We'll talk about Giroud. We'll talk about, I guess, 
other stuff around that game. Joel Campbell, perhaps, we're going to speak to our guests now in a few moments' time. Uh, we'll have a look ahead to what's coming this weekend, a game against Aston Villa. We're going to have to be on our guard as we face former Arsenal favourite Remy. Oh, yes, I did. Just in case you think you didn't hear it. Upon that terrible, but there you go. Uh, so we're going to look ahead to that. We've got some Savile Rogue stuff to give away for you. Uh, as always, as the winter comes in, they give us stuff that will keep you warm. We've got winners of last week's competition, and we've got another competition for you uh, this week as well. Uh, check out Savile-Rogue.com. Remember, do your Christmas shopping there. Get 10% off using the code 10ARSBLOG, and there'll be all the usual bits and pieces of waffle between now and the end of the show as well. So look, a good week all in all, really. A win again. Sunderland, three goals, only one conceded, and then three goals on Wednesday night, and none conceded, a clean sheet, that's nice. And obviously there are benefits to the win against uh, Olympiacos. First uh, and foremost is that we qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League. Our potential um, opponents are Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Wolfsburg, or Zenit St. Petersburg. So you'd be looking at Wolfsburg or Zenit there, I think, as the two that we could uh, be confident about before we blow the home leg and lose on away goals, despite a brave showing in the second leg. <laughs> no, no, surely we can do different this year. But look, uh, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid, yes, varying degrees of scary there. Obviously, Barcelona first, although that would be a great, uh, great trip. Uh, Real Madrid... Always dangerous, despite the fact that they're not playing particularly well. Atletico Madrid, obviously another very uh, good team, difficult team to play against. And Wolfsburg, well, Wolfsburg, we know what's going to happen there, right? Because uh, that would reunite us with the greatest striker that ever lived, despite the fact he's not playing. Imagine getting through to the knockout stages of the Champions League after beating Bayern Munich, going away from home and uh, and scoring three goals, Olivier Giroud getting a hat-trick with all those players injured. You make it through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. You draw Wolfsburg. You think everything's going to be all right. And then by some sheer fluke of something, a Nicholas Bentner goal is what knocks you out. Fuck. It's going to happen, isn't it? Jesus. I've said it. That's made it, you know, in some timeline, that's true. Given that this whole world, as I keep telling you, is a computer simulation, some buff in there now going to make that happen just because I said it out loud. So the draw is on Monday. We'll find out on Monday morning. Actually, I think it's uh, it's being made around the same sort of time that we uh, record the Arscast Extra. So we'll have a, maybe we'll do the draw live or something on the Arscast Extra if we can figure out how to do that on Monday. But fingers crossed for, for uh, who cares? We're through. That's all that matters. And we can worry about it in 2016. Then we can start worrying about that particular game. No point stressing about it now, is there? We can just enjoy the fact that we're there for the time being. Uh, I think that's enough. So look, why don't we talk a bit more about the week that was and what's coming up at the weekend and other stuff besides. Uh, as always, a pleasure to welcome back to the Arscast from Arse to Mouse. It's Tim Clark. Hi, Tim. Great to be back. Andrew, thanks for having me. You know, I have to admit that I haven't yet had a chance to listen to your latest podcast because my week has been ridiculous. But before we get into things, do you think there's some value in Arsenal rebranding November? Because November is so shit. Could we call it like October 2 or pre-December? Think a good idea? 
I thought you were going to suggest calling it like shit member or something like that. <laughs> the shit uh, member conjures up images that I don't think any of us want, really. Yeah, it could be like a hotel where you you know you don't have a thirteenth floor; you just pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> Maybe we could do that thing. Do you remember there was like a winter where a couple of clubs who didn't want to play fixtures sort of claimed the ground was really icy and called games off? Maybe we could just call every game in November off. Come up with an increasing series of elaborate excuses and go that way. <laughs> didn't Middlesbrough do that and then get dock points and ultimately get relegated? Yeah, and I still have no sympathy with them for it. No. All right. Well, we'll we'll, we'll uh, approach the Arsenal marketing team and see if they want to do that. That might help us in November. But December, so far, so good uh, to a large extent. Uh, and, of course, a, a qualification for the knockout stages of the Champions League. Uh, were you expecting quite what we got? If you had listened to my podcast, Andrew, which I'm sad, I'm sad you've now telling me you've rejected... <laughs> Uh, I was I was the sole voice who predicted we, we would actually go through. I said we would win 2-0. I did, in keeping with uh, our Doomy signature brand, say that it means we'll probably draw with Villa at the weekend. But yeah, I, it, it felt like it was... When you looked at the history of Arsenal against Olympiacos, which wasn't great, but then some of the some of the games where we played them had been kind of dead rubbers anyway, it felt like such a big ask to go over there and do that that I kind of thought, as a result, we probably would do it, mm. just because it would be the most kind of arsenally way of, of, of handling that <laughs> game. At a time when we've been kind of like down to the bare bones, as you said, the form has been kind of up and down. It felt like it would be classic us to then turn a performance on. Also, I think the competition means such a huge amount to both, um, well, I mean, of course, the fans, but certainly to the players and certainly to the manager that you kind of feel like it's just what we do. We do get out of those groups. Mm. Kind of like, I mean, when do, when do we last not? We just we just get out of those groups. We yeah. find a way. Yeah, 1999, 2000 was the year that we didn't get out of it. And that year we went down into the UEFA Cup and got to the final and lost. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> a, mixed, a, a mixed bag then, you might say. <laughs> Absolutely, happy memories. It was, what was interesting for me, though, watching the game was... The, I guess the Arsenal way of doing things, uh, as as you've said, and that we've all experienced, is getting to 2-0 and then going, right, it's 2-0, we have what we need, let's just sit back here and see what happens, invite some pressure on us, and we all go through these final 20 minutes of a game where we're shit scared. And what, what set that apart, obviously, yesterday was the fact that we, we got a goal which made it practically impossible for Olympiacos to get back into it. And that was jolly nice. Yeah, the, the, the penalty felt absolutely crucial, didn't it? How, mm. how nervous were you when uh, the handsome French I, Frenchman I, stepped up for it? I, I, was, I was confident in the sense that I'd spoken about that on the Arscast Extra with James when we were asked who takes the penalties with Cazorla out and with Arteta out. And I thought, well, Giroud, because I've seen him take penalties and he's good. And having scored twice, I was... I was relatively confident, but I was sitting there on the sofa doing the live blog, and I don't normally talk out loud because I'm sort of on my own or Mrs. Bloggs is behind me doing some work, and I was like, come on, Ollie, uh, like out loud, uh, because I didn't want to think about what it would mean because, he'd be, you know, he, he'd done so much. It would have almost been typical Giroud, wouldn't it, to score twice and then to miss that one, which, which would have put us under pressure. And had we, you know, had we let one in, ultimately he would have been seen as a villain then because uh, he had the chance to put the game out of sight. But I was, yeah, I was delighted for him as well to, to score a hat-trick. Uh, and I think he more than deserved it. 
Yeah, I, l- I look back actually. Do you remember the three-three draw uh, with Fulham when Arteta had a penalty saved mm. uh, r- right at the death? And I think Giroud had been on a hat trick then and had wanted to take the penalty, but Arteta was obviously the the designated penalty taker at the time. And I look back at some of the post-match comments, and Wenger actually listed because there was some controversy then about who should have taken the penalty, should it have been Giroud. Mm. And he he listed who all the penalty takers were, and it went something like Podolski, Walcott, who then wasn't on the pitch, into Cazorla, and Giroud Giroud was like nowhere near the top. But like you said, I've I've seen him taking them before, and it was was a really, really cool finish. I mean, he just passed it firmly into the net. And like you said, that that completely killed the game. I I didn't feel too nervous towards the end of them about you. No, not at all. I mean, look, they had to score three times. There was no way they were going to score three times. And I think, uh, you know, at 1-0, they were really... They didn't know quite what to do, did they? Because they knew that one more goal would be enough for us to, to go through. Um, and I think they they were they were caught out a little bit by the circumstances of it. I mean, it was still precarious at two nil because one goal for them meant that we were going out, but one goal for us meant they had practically no chance. So it was really weird permutations in that sense. But I think they got caught by the by the occasion of it and by the uncertainty that that was from their side. Whereas from our point of view, there was complete certainty about what we needed to do. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, you almost had that. I think was it the. Uh... The game where we went to Munich and, you, and and won, but ultimately didn't didn't go through. But you felt like Munich at the time weren't quite sure how to handle the game, and it, it definitely felt the same with Olympiacos. They, mm. they had a real they had a real go at us early, and I think put us under quite a bit of pressure uh, and looked dangerous. But then but then once we had that goal, I think the experience told you know like like I said earlier, you know what we do is get out of these groups, and we do have a way of navigating these sorts of fixtures anyway. Yeah, I mean, we did. We've done it the hard way this time, though. In fairness, um, yeah. I, I would have preferred if we'd done it a bit more uh, comprehensively or convincingly. Um, but I mean, is the lesson there? Play Petr Cech whenever you've got Petr Cech to play. I don't think anyone would dispute that lesson at this point. I kind of feel like I've I've now enjoyed this Champions League group stage more than almost any in a while because it's. I mean. It's, Clearly, it had a couple of absolute dumpster results at the start, but the kind of the back from the brink vibe of it has made me more excited about the competition than I have been in some time. Even, even though, like looking at the, the round of sixteen, we, we're potentially going to come up against some old friends and certainly some tough teams. It's kind of like it's reinvigorated my excitement about the uh, about the CL. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look at it. it I, I think you've got to give. While you can be critical of the way that we started the campaign, I think it was it was really poor. Obviously, you've got to give credit to the team for for coming through that group. You know that win over Bayern Munich. That's a huge, huge win in the context of this group, and unexpected yeah. as well. You know, it certainly was that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, Czech is just like when you when you see him there, he. I feel like he's come into the defence almost like sort of Mary Poppins and just like cleans everything up really cheerfully without getting angry at anyone. Mm. And everything, like everything's better when he's there. He makes stuff look routine. That isn't. And that's Even the sign a of a good keeper, defense, yeah. He just, he kind of just like, you, you kind of see that expression go across his face and just like, oh, you kids, come on now. <laughs> you know, big, I, big, Pete, big Pete has got this, don't worry. Yeah, but you do feel safer with him in there, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's the difference between like going driving with your friend who like drives too fast and is like a maniac, and the one the guy who you just go like, I feel completely safe with this dude. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Chesney, the uh, the the drunk driver guy, essentially. That's, you saw where I was going with this. Raising <laughs> um, tabs out of the window as he drives. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, I, I think there's something about, especially on nights like last night, you know, that that this team now has got 
experience in it. There's good young players, but there's also plenty of experience, isn't there, right the way through. Um, you know, that that's about apart from Bellerin, that's a, a hugely experienced back four. Um, you add Mesut Ozil to the mix. Uh, you know, Ramsey is no ingenue. Uh, Mesut Ozil, Giroud. You know, these are guys who have uh, who've got plenty of football under their belts, and, and uh, it's crucial on nights like Wednesday night. Well, for Flamini, much as we might, you know, joke about whether he's like the, the ideal option to have playing kind of or starting games now. Like he, he has been there and done that in the yeah. in the Champions League, uh, probably more than anyone in the team. And th- I'm glad you kind of picked out the back four because I thought the two centre backs were superb uh, yesterday. Mertesacker and Koscielny. Like Gab- Gabriel's been good when he came in, but like when the two play like that, they complement each other so well. Mm. Koscielny was just like imperious. Th- remember that kind of cross he just hooks out from almost under the bar. Like that's such a hard skill. To, to perform it's almost like the equivalent of a striker having to finish a difficult chance at the other end yeah um, obviously Giroud seen like he can, he can do both but, uh, <laughs> you couldn't resist <laughs> <laughs> I like Giroud I like Giroud that's my uh, I know, my I podcast know. Who, uh, is less keen I think his uh, his Twitter mentions were probably quite problematic when he eventually got to them <laughs> well you know you uh, you reap what you sow in a way don't you so <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I think you're right about Koscielny. He He's an absolute, I'd say he's a nightmare to play against if you're a forward. Like pretty much everything he did on Wednesday night was spot on. He's so strong. He's quick. Uh, he tackles. I mean, there was one, I think, in the, in the second period where where the guy, uh, Koscielny was shielding the ball out for a goal kick and the guy tried to sort of barge him out of the way and found an immovable ob- object. And I think he had something to say to Koscielny. Cameras just cut away and Koscielny was looking at him like, you're just a piece of dirt on the bottom of my shoe here. He was great. For for a defender who's always been like quite wary, he now seems like really strong. Like he's not easy to knock off the ball. He he stands his ground incredibly well. He's aggressive in tackles. He's a uh, uh, he's still prone to the odd kind of like brain freeze, but they're, they're much fewer and far between than they were at the start of his career. Mm-hmm. Joel Campbell. Let's let's go there. Um, a player who could well have been on his way out of the club if more people had been fit. And I know that's, um, you know, as a concept, it's uh, it's a nice one, but it's fairly much unthinkable when it comes to Arsenal. But, you know, in the wide positions at the start of this season, had everybody been fit, you know, he was he was behind pretty much everybody else. Um, now, after some games where he's been in the team uh, and performed pretty well, he's beginning to move himself up the pecking order. Yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, I've certainly been a Campbell spe- skeptic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was easily, I think, his best performance um, yesterday. What I've kind of wanted to see from him was was him to do something that it, it felt like most wingers couldn't do. And I think that assist, where with the, the, the little kind of drag back and reverse pass, was what you want from an Arsenal winger. And I think that's what, for me, he hadn't kind of shown up until that point. Like his, you know, everyone had talked up his work rate, but I, I'm kind of work rate's one thing, but. I find it hard to get kind of excited about that, but <laughs> but but you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. like that's almost the least you should expect, really, um, of a guy who's trying to make it at a club like Arsenal. And what I'd wanted to see was um, some flashes of quality, and I thought he really gave that um, yesterday to the point where I think it is legitimate now to say like maybe he's maybe he's this season at least ahead of an out of form uh, Oxlade Chamberlain. Yeah, and, and and like I know you guys on the Arsenal sector have talked that you know maybe Joel can do a job and maybe. Maybe people like me have kind of slightly sniffed at that. But this is the chance when people talk about 
you know, squad depth and people being third and fourth cho- choice, this is the chance players like that have to take. Like, mm. There probably won't be another opportunity as good as this come along. So you either make the most of it or think about playing your trade elsewhere. Mm. You know what? It just struck me that having seen Coquelin do what he did, which was in itself almost unprecedented in, in my history of watching Arsenal. I've never seen a player come from from so far uh, on the fringes, you know, a guy who was really on his way out to becoming so, so important. And then Bellerin did it in the right-back position. Now, I know he was more a young player with potential who was really being given his first chance rather than, than anything else. It just struck me that with Campbell, well, look, it couldn't happen three times. You know, I still think there's there's a way for him to go, but there's no question that his trajectory since he's been given this run of games in the last four or five weeks has been, it's been an upward one. Yeah, and I, I kind of think, like, to make a counterpoint, that there's a danger in now thinking, well, if you just give any player enough chances, they will eventually come good. And that's been, like, demonstrably not the case. We've seen plenty of players, you know, you, you, you look back at the Danielsons and the Benters and the Velas, guys who you think, like, definitely had real talent and maybe more natural talent than some of these guys yeah. um, who, who were given chance after chance and it just, it just never clicked. So I think there's just, like, this crazy kind of mixture of alchemy and timing, a mixture of kind of luck and application as to whether... A player breaks through like that, and I think with Campbell, like for me, the jury's still still out. But I now feel like I I don't feel kind of like a sinking feeling so much when I see his name on the team sheet, where maybe where maybe I did, if I'm being truthful, Mm. um, when he was first being brought into the side. You kind of, as a fan, you want it to work out, right? Of course you do, because you want like those stories are great, those kind of rags to riches. Type, type things or kind of kind of comebacks from the brink. I think everyone loves that about Cochrane, you know, the idea yeah. that he was, was you know, he was going to be at Charlton, you know, that was going to be his career. Um, and now he looks like a CL-capable defensive midfielder. It, it, doesn't it also show us, I guess, in a way that football is, as much as we like to draw the direct correlation between money spent and success, and, you know, the, it's inarguable to, to a certain extent uh, that, you know, spending money improves your squad and we've seen the evidence and the benefits of that uh, at Arsenal but also that it is an inexact science that you can go out and spend a lot of money and not find the right player and then all of a sudden from under a rock uh, from somewhere you least expect you you find a talent that can play regularly in your first team yeah I I wouldn't argue with that at all I but I probably also wouldn't use it as a a reason to sort of like be cautious about the spending i think you ha- what you have ah, no, to do is, hang on no i wasn't <laughs> yeah i think what you have to do is put yourself in a position where you're able to ask those questions can this guy make it and if like you know like certainly my you know the, the biggest point of nervousness last night was when i think ramsey went over and then and then i started thinking well who would play in midfield and and, and you're really not sure mm. and what i would have liked to have seen is us give a couple more guys from either out well from outside basically not from inside a chance to come and be part of this squad and then when you hit a crisis like we, you know, we're kind of currently in with the fitness then some of those guys could potentially make it too and you're absolutely right of course there's no guarantees we might have spazzed 30 million on Schneidlin in the, in the summer and he arrived and been bang average you know he didn't keep Manchester United in the Champions League mm. but, but, but what, where I think we haven't done ourselves failure uh, where we haven't done ourselves a favour is we haven't given ourselves the opportunity to ask that question of some new players by only buying Czech yeah. So I think I think that's why I like to the point of tedium do still bang on about that because it does still feel 
fairly lunatic to me. Yeah. Of course, you know, if if we improve the one at the area that people complain about all the time, which is the injuries, and I think that's somewhere we all want to see the club do better, then these guys don't get a chance either. Um, you know, that that that's the reality of the situation. That is why Coquelin is in the Arsenal team because we had so many injuries. It's why Campbell has been in the Arsenal team because uh, we had so many injuries. But look, let's let's touch on that then. In January, it is approaching. Um, we're now, what, the 11th of, of December, so uh, it's not too far away. We do have a problem in the centre of midfield in the sense that Coquelin is out, Cazorla is out. And I have to say, I love Santi Cazorla. Like, love him. I think he's an amazing footballer. But I think I prefer an Arsenal midfield with with Aaron Ramsey in the middle. Um, I think there's more dynamism. There's more forward thinking. The the key for me then is to try and find the the player who really complements Ramsey. So leaving that aside, though, we can come back to that in a moment. Is there any question in your mind, and I I know the answer to this, (laughs) uh, about whether or not we need to spend in January? No, we should just stick with what we've got, Andrew. Just, just promote a couple of the kids. That's the answer. That'll win us the league we haven't wanted. Yeah, there's, many there's, there's loads of loads of cockerlands out there. We just haven't found them. I, I, I agree with what you said about Ramsey. Actually, like, uh, do you remember the season? I think it was two or three years ago where we were we were scrapping for fourth, and mm. we ended up with Arteta and Ramsey playing as the um, the base of midfield, and they were great together. We kind of eked out a bunch of like one one nil results or kind of like one goal margin results. Yeah, and um, so I think the question then becomes, how do you find a, can, or can you find a player who does most of what Arteta can do, but is like a bit a bit younger and fitter, um, and look to that potentially as your long your long term option, either as Coquelin being that guy or this you know new player X. I'd love it to be like a permanent signing in January. Yeah. I actually I actually for all the for all the kind of doominess, I always go into windows believing Arsenal will do it. Like I went into the summer absolutely convinced we'd buy three outfield players. Like convinced. <laughs> I, I just thought it seemed so obvious that that's what we would do and we would probably let a couple of couple of guys like kind of Flamini and Campbell leave. Which, and maybe that was the plan and just it didn't pan out because, you know, transfers are, you know, they're not sure. easy things to, to pull off. But I think we will do something in January because just, just the kind of mood music coming out of Arsenal's... Um, post-match stuff he, he's, it's less of the kind of our eyes are open we look for the highest quality by the way I don't think you actually need there's been this kind of strange I think myth that the only way to improve this squad is, is with world class players now because the squad is so good I don't think that's true at all I think the, the way to improve the squad is to take a couple of the guys who now look either so chronically injury prone or old and, and, and try and replace them I don't mm. think you need to I don't think it's a kind of a binary decision of like well do we have to kind of let go of guys like Wilshire and Gibbs because they're too injury prone I think you look at the ones who are like peripheral and old and, and, and try and make even marginal upgrades there can potentially have a significant impact on the squad mm. I, I'm not versed enough now in world football to know like who we should be targeting and actually that's never really been beyond the kind of comedy and villa thing aside it's never really <laughs> been my thing like I've always trusted the manager to to, to, to find players that I've never heard of who are going to be much better than I expected. Like yeah. Monreal, is the, Monreal is the classic example. I would love a couple of guys like Monreal who are a little left field to come in and, and just really bulk out the squad with some other options and some quality and then, and then let them fight it out with guys like uh, Coquelin and, and, and maybe Campbell. Because I'd still kind of like a, a forward signing. Mm. I, still, I still think that just that little something that makes us a little bit more unpredictable that gives us another threat... Uh, Walcott, Walcott is still a guy who I think will potentially get hurt and can be in and out of games. I'd, I'd love to see a, 
a kind of wide forward player come in but but that feels like more of a reach probably how about you yeah i mean i think clearly midfield is an issue because uh you know arteta is is struggling with injury struggling to stay fit um Coquelin is out Cazorla is out Jack when he comes back you know you'd be a brave man to put a lot of money on him staying fit I mean I'd love to see it happen of course but even even if it does how long are you how long, how long are you looking before Jack Wilshire reaches the the kind of performance level that you want you know he's um he's going to take weeks if not months to get back to his best right so I still think we need somebody in that midfield and I wouldn't be surprised either if he if he brought in some kind of attacking player in the January window is there anyone you've got your eye on no I don't think so I mean there's nobody in particular I mean of course everyone will say you know get get Mares or get Vardy yeah. and I don't think those necessarily are, are realistic um solutions but uh, you know just from the point of view of looking at the squad and what the manager might want from it I you know it wouldn't surprise me if he bought a forward player if you remember the year that we were all going we need a center half we need a center half you've got to get a center half there's uh, there's no question we're going to get a center half and he bought Andre Arshavin you know as far removed from a center half as you can get so he is capable of those still one of my favorite Arsenal transfers of all time it's yeah bananas yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the other thing when you look at January is that the, the way that this Premier League is shaping up. Like, if you remember the season where where we went unbeaten, Arsenal had just missed out on the title the year before. We were going all right in the Premier in the Premier League that year, and in January we brought in Reyes, and yeah. that that gave the squad an extra boost it gave the squad something extra that it needed throughout the rest of that season he played a, like a not an insignificant part in what we did that season and it feels to me that the way the other teams are operating in this premier league the way other teams are dropping points that, that there's the chance to make it a statement is the wrong word but to really have a show of intent by going out and and boosting the squad again because you know who i think more than anybody else would appreciate signings are the players. Yeah, I was going to say exactly the same thing. I think it gives you a boost, not just uh, externally in terms of other clubs looking at you going, well, these guys are going for it. But I think it says the same thing to the players. I think it, it tells them we're really serious about this. We're going to go for it this year. Mm. It, it's felt like in other years, we've talked before about like, you know, this is a season we could win it. But but really, this, the, the league is so nuts that it does feel there for the taking. There's, there's no standout team. Everyone's inconsistent. And... We absolutely have as good a chance as anyone. And I think that's why guys like me kind of bang on a bit and get frustrated because it feels like you, you could be walking into a world next year where maybe Guardiola's at City and Chelsea have kind of stabilised and, and it'll, be, it'll feel much, much harder than it does right now. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you even look at like Arsene's body language on the touchline and the way he's talking. I think he, I think he, he knows this and he is, he's hot for the league. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons I think he probably will try and do something in January. Mm. And, and like you said, there's no guarantees that, like, you know, guys could come in and end up not figuring much or, or, or get hurt straight away or, or just not gel. But like I said, what I'd like to see us do is ask those questions of like, you just want to come out of the season with no regrets. You don't want to come, you don't want to kind of look back and go, well, if we hadn't had those clown keepers, maybe we would have won the league this year. Or if we would, if we'd have just had one more midfielder, maybe mm. we could have like survived that difficult run of fixtures we had. Yeah. Um, there's no think. There's not quite a death run like there is in previous seasons in terms of the fixture list. I don't think there's, a, I think, a rough patch coming up in the new year, but nothing quite like where we've had like you know six back to back, you know, six pointers or whatever. Mm. I think there's Chelsea and Liverpool in January, 
Um, I'll just I'll just get the fixtures up here. So in January, uh, Liverpool, Stoke, and Chelsea. So Liverpool away, Stoke away, Chelsea. That's a bit of a death run there. All right, all right, that's quite rough. Um, but then we just got a bank on Chelsea still being shit. Yeah, hilariously, uh, yeah. unfathomably hilariously shit. It's fantastic uh, to watch. Yeah, I mean, like you say, Chelsea might actually have a good manager in charge next year too. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's no room for if-onlys this year. There's there's no excuses for it either, is there? I mean, we know it's difficult to find the players in January, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the resources are there. Surely the planning is there. And it, it, it really feels to me like if we go for it, we're going to give ourselves a fantastic chance of winning this league. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, on that positive note, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Stick this one in the archives. Absolutely. We'll leave it there. Great to talk to you again. Thanks. Yeah, you too, Angie. Thank you. Thank you to Tim. You can find him on Twitter, of course, at Arse2Mouse. That's at Arse2Mouse. And, of course, the Arse2Mouse podcast, which you should check out, which he co-hosts with Yankee Gunner and Scottish Dave in a, in a world of dank, dark, miserable, doom-laden podcast. This is like a hidden garden, a secret garden, an oasis of cheer. I recommend you listen. So there you go. All right. We'll uh, chat to Tim again, I'm sure, at some point during the season. Right now, this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Giroud! What are you doing scoring an old goal against Sunderland? So what if you made up for it with a goal in the second half to put us ahead? That kind of careless play can cost us league titles. And if you or anybody else thinks that you can make the difference in midweek against Olympiacos in the Champions League, you're out of your mind! Always liked that Giroud fella. Yeah, said it from the start, I did. No, you fuck off! Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit! Welcome back. Time to do some Savile Rogue stuff. And last week, our, our good friends at Savile Rogue gave us three of their deluxe scarves to give away. And I asked you a question ahead of the Sunderland game to name the uh, the two Arsenal players currently at Sunderland, or the two ex-Arsenal players, I should say, who are currently at Sunderland. Uh, the answer was Vito Manone and Seb Larson. So well done to everybody who got it right. But unfortunately, there isn't a prize for everybody. There was only three of them. Three is still lots, though because these scarves are excellent. And the random number generator picked out Anthony Rodriguez, John McQuaid, and Nicola Clare. Nicola Clare. That's like two first names instead of a first name and a surname. Like when you get people who have two surnames as their name, like Spencer O'Toole or something. But anyway, well done to you, Nicola Clare, with your two first names. You have won yourself a scarf, along with John McQuaid and Anthony Rodriguez, and I'll be in touch with you guys to get your details, and we'll get the prizes sent out as soon as we possibly can. This week, we have got one of their cashmere sweaters to give away, worth £149. Just log on to Savile-Rogue.com, and you can uh, check them out there, see which one you might like. The question then, ahead of this weekend's game against uh, Aston Villa, a meeting with old boy Remy Gard, one 
of Arsene Wenger's two first signings for the club, of course, along with Patrick Vieira. What I want to know is, from which club did we sign Remy Gard? From which club did Arsenal sign Remy Gard in 1996, I think it was? So uh, answers, please, to competition at arseblog.com. That is competition at arseblog.com. Remember, it's nearly Christmas. You've got to do your shopping. But can you be arse going out to the shops? full of people and people who sneeze and don't cover their mouths and and give you cold and flu and just spread their germs everywhere. Who needs that? Nobody, that's who. So stay at home, log on to Savile Rogue. That's Savile-Rogue.com and do all your Christmas shopping there. You can get scarves, gloves, hats, hip flasks, uh, wrist warmers, uh, slipper socks, all the kind of things that people love to get for Christmas. And you can get 10% off every order by using the code 10ARSBLOG. Use the code 10ARSBLOG and Savile Rogue will give you 10% off your order and they'll just deliver it to your door. That means you don't have to go outside and deal with people and things and life and all that, right? Simple. Make your Christmas shopping as easy as possible by just doing it from in front of your computer. 10ArsBlog, Savile-Rogue.com. Do it. You know you want to. Right. This weekend, we're playing Aston Villa, and as yet, there is no team news because, well, the team only got back from... Uh, from Greece in the early hours of uh, of Thursday morning, so I guess they would have been given a day off, and then they'll probably come in on Friday, and and uh, they'll assess how everybody is. Will Olivier Giroud be able to play after going over on his ankle? I don't know if you saw the picture that I put up on on the blog on. Uh, Thursday morning, have a look at that blog post, the one about the Olympiacos game, and you can see that he really did go over on that ankle. I thought he was going to be, I thought it was curtains for Giroud, I have to say, but he played on. Arsene Wenger saying he's a tough boy, he's an animal, etc., etc. We just have to hope that he hasn't really done himself any damage there and that the ligaments in his ankle are very, very springy. I actually went to see the physio, by the way. Uh, I was talking about this last week. I haven't played football for a while because of an ankle injury, and she she went at my ankle and said, yep, you've done something to those two ligaments, and this uh, ligament here at the back of your ankle, uh, you've you've really fucked that up at some time in the past because it's essentially just scar tissue. So so that's not good, but thankfully, I'm on the road to recovery. Hopefully, Olivier Giroud won't have to to recover from anything. Uh, We go away from home against a team that is struggling, they're having a difficult time. Of course, we beat them in the FA Cup final uh, in May, which was good fun. Remember that? We won the Cup. Remember winning the Cup? That was good fun. We all got drunk, didn't we? It was, it was hilarious. Uh, uh, we're going to play them. So they're going to be scrapping hard. They'll want to get a, a first win under their new manager. I don't think they've won a game yet since he arrived. Uh, so it's going to be tough. And, you know, I think we underestimate sometimes the, the difficulty of going away from home after a big game in the Champions League. And all the focus was on that Olympiacos game. We knew it was going to be difficult. And there was a lot of effort, a lot of energy put into that game when we don't necessarily have the squad uh, to rotate too much at this moment in time. So... We're going to have to hope that these guys can pick it up and uh, and set themselves up nicely because then we do have a little bit of a break. We've got that game against Villa on Sunday and we don't play again until the following Monday, the game against Manchester City. So if we can get three points this Sunday, sets us up very nicely for a game against Man City then the following week and then we're sort of into Christmas and festive periods and all that kind of crack. So, so let's see what happens. Hopefully we can pick up where we left off against Olympiacos. Uh, that will be good. James and I, of course, will be here on Monday to discuss everything that goes on at the weekend in the Arscast Extra. Uh, I'll be back next Friday with another Arscast. So uh, until then, I'm going to leave it there because I've got to go to a Christmas party this evening. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be any good. I'm hopeful that there might be, you know, some nice canapes, cocktail sausages on sticks, 
cheese and pineapple, you know, the old classics. We've gone, we've gone too far. Marks and Spencer's with their, their fancy, fancy party food. They've ruined it for everyone. They've upped the ante, and now the ante is it's so up there that, that it's, it's just hard to come back down to earth sometimes. I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to end this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe on iTunes, um, and yeah, you can subscribe on iTunes. Do that, or don't, whatever, it's fine. It's entirely up to you what you do. You know, I shouldn't tell you what you can be doing. You're a grown man or woman. You can make your own mind up about stuff. So look, I'll leave it there. I'll talk to you on the Arscast Extra on Monday with James and, of course, on next week's Arscast. So uh, until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye. Normally, the end of the podcast is uh, is a bit, right? It's, a, it's supposed to be funny or something. So this is my tip to uh, aspiring podcasters who want to do a bit at the end of their podcast. Do the bit before you uh, go to a Christmas party, at which the canapes were, frankly, uh, disappointing, right? So do that bit. That way you've got your podcast done and dusted so you don't come home after the party having to do the bit, which ultimately will be unusable. And then you're sitting here the next morning, quite hungover indeed, and you're listening back to it going, what the fuck was I talking about? Like, have a listen. I just had a toasted cheese sandwich and it was like, delicious. Because if you make a toasted cheese sandwich and it's not delicious, you're an asshole. Because it's like the simplest thing to do. It's like toast and cheese and that's amazing. But if you can't make that taste good, you're, you're not Marco Pierre White. You're not Anthony Bourdain. You're not, not that other guy, that chef guy that who's a dickhead. Fuck him. So fuck him. That's all I'm saying. If you can't make a nice toasted cheese sandwich, you should probably just, like, stop. See? You're very influenced by whatever's in front of you, and that happened to be... A toasted cheese sandwich, which was, in fairness, delicious. So there's my uh, podcasting tutorial number one. There may be more of these to come. Have a good one.